Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Kimberly Palmer is the senior money editor and alpha consumer blogger at U.S. News and World Report. She's appeared on NBC's Today Show, CNBC, and CNN to talk about making smart money decisions. She's also written for the Washington Post in the Wall Street Journal. As well as that, Kimberly has also been the author of books, several books, including her latest, The Economy of You. Last time, Kim and I discussed using money as a tool for creating our life. And today, we're going to discuss gaining traction in your side business in this new world of work. Kimberly, hello and welcome back. Hi, Corinne. Thank you so much for having me. So first off, I want to start out by talking about why it's important to have this side business in this new world of work? Well, I mean, I basically feel like there's so little job stability and job security really today. I felt this myself, which is what drove me to launch my own side business. And I basically discovered so many people feel the same way that we can't necessarily count on our full-time jobs lasting forever. And in some ways, even more importantly, it's relatively easy to launch an online business now. And it can be so creatively satisfying and professionally satisfying that there's really few reasons not to. I mean, it can be a really wonderful thing that adds to your life, that adds to your career, and also adds to your own financial security. And is this something that's more amicable these days in the workplace than it was, say, 20 or 30 years ago? Yes, it absolutely is. And that's actually a big shift that we're seeing. So 20 or 30 years ago, it was really looked down on for you to be moonlighting. As people used to say, uh, the word, the word, the term moonlighting has been around for most of the last century. And it sort of con- or kind of brings to mind something that you shouldn't be doing, maybe something that you're embarrassed of or you want to hide. Now, having something on the side, our language has evolved to reflect this too. It's really something empowering. So we say side gigs or side side businesses and side hustles. And I think that too, employers have really recognized that it can be a good thing for them as well, for their employees on their own time to be picking up these extra skills. So whether it's marketing or entrepreneurship, I mean, they're learning things that they can then bring back to their full-time jobs. Yeah. And that's a great point because it's not like they're going to learn this marketing thing and then not it's just not, it's going to be a part of them, right? So of course they're going to, the way they see things and they see new patterns, it's going to be applicable in some aspect of their job, even if they're not in marketing. Yes, that is so true. And I think so many of us, even if we're not in marketing jobs, we have to incorporate various aspects of entrepreneurship into our jobs. I know for me, when I learned in my Etsy shop that I launched how to create eBooks and how to market them and publish them online, I actually used those exact skills when I had a new project at work at my full-time job at U.S. News and World Report. And it was really a, a benefit to everyone that I had had that experience. So I knew how to create PDFs and work with them and publish them and get them out there. So it can really be something that even if you don't expect it, it can be surprising, but it can actually, you know, add to your full-time job and your, your supervisor or your boss can end up being really glad that you have had that experience. 
So I have a question with writing the economy of you, you interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs and um, what was the kind of the mindset that these entrepreneurs had? You know, a lot of them, their mindset was one of optimism. And a lot of people, I think, get the, get the I think, incorrect sense when I first started explaining the focus of my book that it sounds so depressing, that there's no job security, that we all need to sort of figure this out on our own. But the overwhelming feeling I got from all my interviews was a sense of optimism and inspiration because people are taking what can be seen as a negative thing, the flux in our economy, and really turning it around and making it work for them and using it to really leverage their own passions and experiences and skills into something that they enjoy doing and that they make money doing. So I really walked away from my most, all, really all my interviews with people with an incredible sense of optimism about the future and for the possibilities that they have in their own businesses. So I, I mean, I thought it was really exciting and personally, I found it inspiring to talk to everyone. And what about were they practical? Were they realist or do they really just see the world through rose colored glasses? <laughs> I think that it wasn't over the top optimism that they, I mean, they're all trying to make a living. I mean, all of them, it's not like they have trust funds that they can rely on. I mean, everyone sees their side businesses and full-time jobs as something that they need to rely on to build their own financial security for themselves, for their families. So, I mean, a lot of them had to learn hard lessons along the way. One of the side business owners that I interviewed, he was working at Men's Warehouse as a salesman and he saw a really dismal future for himself there. He saw a really sort of uh, how he described it. He thought he was going to end up on the streets if he didn't find a new job soon because, you know, his salary was getting squeezed. He thought layoffs were possible. So he first, he tried real estate. It wasn't for him. It didn't work. Then he tried this unfortunate uh, network marketing scheme where he had to actually purchase a bunch of vitamins up, up front with the idea of selling them. Terrible idea because he, of course, was left with all the inventory of those vitamins. And so finally, he had the idea to invent something and he invented this really amazing baby walker called a Juppy. It has turned into this booming business. He's been on the Today Show and he's gotten a ton of press for it. So I think, I mean, a lot of people struggle like he did along the way, but as long as they kept trying different things and were flexible and experimented a bit, they eventually found their footing. Well, you know, it sounds like one is being proactive, right? And it it, yes. it, what the the words that were coming to my mind as you're talking about this, I think the old world of work was more kind of parent-child. Like if you got the privilege to go work at this company, you did mm -hmm. what they said, you followed the structure, and then hopefully you would be able to make your you know move your way up both in income and status. And where now it's about personal responsibility and really about really being the adult, like you know being looking at what is. And that what are the risks? There's potential for layoffs. What are the things that I can do? And so it's, it seems like that's kind of the big shift in it used to be somebody else telling us versus us taking our own ownership or personal responsibility. Yes, I think you're so right. And I think that's really a fundamental shift in our economy and also reflected in the fact that we don't stay in, if we do have full-time jobs, we don't stay in them for as long as our parents or our grandparents did. It's really 
entrepreneurial, even if you're, even if you have a nine to five job, you sort of need to think about your career in an entrepreneurial way and look out for yourself and think about how you want to, how you can brand yourself even within your own company. So I think you're completely right that this is a really big shift. And so the question for all of us trying to navigate it is how do we use that to our advantage and not just feel completely overwhelmed? Because I think it can be overwhelming because we have to sort of take charge of more ourselves and we can't just you know, relax into our full-time jobs and think that we're going to be there forever and be satisfied. Yeah. Cause I think the other thought was, okay, if I'm really good at this and I work really hard, I'm going to finally hit the promised land and just kind of cruise until I retire. Right. And right. there isn't that anymore. There is not at all. And I think on top of all of that with what the economy and how it's change just in terms of, you know, costs continuing to go up. A lot of people feel financially squeezed and pay tends to level out in our 30s and 40s just when a lot of our costs are increasing. So a lot of people go through this financial squeeze when it's just hard to figure out, I mean, how am I even going to pay the bills and afford the kind of lifestyle that I thought I'd be able to? And I think a lot of people, myself included, struggle with that. And, you know, the answer is often finding another way of earning money and playing around with that. and seeing if we can find, you know, new income streams to supplement the ones we already have. And that's that's kind of what happened with you, right? You have this job, you work for the, you know, US News World and Report, mm-hmm. US News and World Report, right, which mm-hmm. is very prestigious. That's, you know, probably most journalists dream, but you decided to start a side hustle and and create an Etsy shop for an additional income, correct? That's exactly right. And I love my full-time job. I hope I never leave U.S. News and World Report. I mean, I love it, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't also have something on the side. And luckily, as I mentioned before, I think they can add to each other and not so track. So it's not something I need to hide or be secretive about, which I'm not at all. I mean, I'm proud of, of what I do on the side and my, my boss is fully aware of it. And, you know, she totally supports it too. And it's helped me in my day job. So I think there's no reason to think of it as an either or proposition anymore, but we can create these hybrid careers where we really take the best of both worlds, of both being an entrepreneur and having more of a a traditional job and and mix them and mix them in a way that makes the most sense for us. So what are important, like kind of, what's the key or the X factor to those who really make it in their side hustle? Right. Because we hear about these stories, these grandiose things. But what, what are the what are the commonalities that you've seen? You know, one is just being paying so much attention to your to customers and what people want. And when something isn't working, I mean, maybe you launch an online store and no one is buying. Really not giving up because there's going to be those inevitable failures, but thinking, okay, what does this mean in terms of what how I can tweak it and make something different that people do want? And the, the most successful side gigers that I interviewed in the book were the ones that were flexible enough to really listen to what their customers were saying, including when they weren't buying things to figure out, oh, well, what could I offer instead? And so as long as people didn't give up during those really hard moments and offered something slightly different, they eventually found their footing. And I mean, one of my favorite examples in the book is actually a man who worked in the deli down the street from my office. And 
the deli was shutting down during the recession. And I mean, he'd worked there his whole life because it was actually his dad's deli and he had no idea what to do, but he noticed that people had been calling about ordering really fancy custom cakes, like the kind that are on some of those TLC shows like cake boss. Mm-hmm. And he decided to to make start making them and that turned into his side business and now his thriving full-time business. And it was because he listened. So I think just listening and seeing where there might be a hole in the market that you could fill with your own skills, I think is a huge part of it. Well, and so, and with listening like that, um, how important is having support around you? Oh my gosh. It's so, so, so important. I mean, it's so hard to be an entrepreneur that you need so much support from the people on you on multiple levels. So one, you need, a, I like to, I think of it as like your online tribe who are in your similar niche as you. So whatever you're doing, you want to seek out the people a few steps ahead of you down that path. For me, it was creative entrepreneurs selling digital products on Etsy. So super specific, the more specific you can be, the better. But basically, I just I sought those people out, read their blogs, signed up for their newsletters, studied everything they did, and I learned so much. And you know, where I could, I copied their techniques in terms of marketing and the kind of products they were making. So, I mean, you can learn so much from people that are just a few steps ahead of you down that path. And then at the same time, you need more traditional support, like your friends and family, because it's hard. And you know, there's definitely times when you get a bad review or you don't, you're not making sales that week, and you might need to step back and sort of reflect and and change things around a bit. So having people on your side that you can talk to about it is so key. What about for those entrepreneurs who don't have the family support? How do they manage that? Oh, that is so hard. I mean, I actually have to say that I think I can't think of an example of someone I interviewed where they felt that because of the people that I interviewed, I think they were successful in part because they did have that support. I mean, it's so essential. I mean, just from a juggling your life perspective, once you're launching a side business on top of your full-time job, you'll be working on it in the evenings, on the weekends, and you need the people around you to be supporting that and not taking away from it. So, I mean, I think that's such an essential ingredient to your success that it's almost like a prerequisite. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the support piece is really important. The the listening and kind of seeing like listening to what is it that people need? What is their problem and how can you solve it? And and so that's that's the other area. Now, what about um we we live in this world where, you know, especially with the economy changing in this new world of work. I mean, you're really presenting this very optimist view, which is very mm-hmm. different than what we hear a lot of like, oh, it's doomsday. You know, we don't have the same kind of economy that we once had. We're losing the middle class. So isn't that important, too, is how your mindset is set up as you go into doing this work? It really is. I mean, I feel like it's hard to really undertake hard work and get up and feel the motivation to try something new. If you're feeling so down about the economy and it, it is easy to feel down about the economy, but I think you, I don't know, at least for me, you kind of have to shift to thinking about 
the positive and exciting opportunities or else it's hard just to find the motivation to, to try some of them. So, I mean, that's why I always like to start by just looking at some of these new, relatively new online e-commerce sites, of course, like Etsy, but also Fiverr and Elance and Freelancer, just taking half an hour to browse some of these sites and seeing how people are currently making money, I think is, I mean, it's so inspiring because you can see that if other people are doing it, you can do it too. I mean, one person I noticed is uh, writing wedding speeches because people don't like writing their own wedding speeches. It's very <laughs> stressful. It is. And so if that's something that you could maybe excel at, then you can start a business doing that. Uh, if you have a, a good voice and you love making cartoon voices, doing voiceovers is a booming business right now. And of course, if you have any kind of professional skill like marketing or architecture or PR, uh, designing websites, illustrating, I mean, anything where you have professional training, I mean, you could be in business tomorrow because there's so much demand for that kind of thing on the websites like Elance and Freelancer. So I think just taking time to browse what other people are doing can in itself get you started. And with the people that, you know, we hear about this, you know, this these side, successful side businesses that really make it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's definitely in the media and that because that gives us hope and aspiration. Um, was their mindset, was that like a really important thing of being able to push through those difficult moments? Because it's not like they had this golden yeah. path, right? Correct. No, no, you're completely right. And I think that what allowed them to push through is that they were so excited about their idea. I mean, one woman who she's a field hockey coach. She's, she's always been a field hockey coach specializing. She teaches summer camps for kids in the summertime. And she basically noticed that it was hard to teach kids how to hold a field hockey stick properly. So she invented a new kind of hockey stick for training. And then she basically was so excited about it. And she, so it gave her the energy to patent it and market it. And now she's being chased down by athletic companies who might want to buy it from her. So, I mean, she could have been kind of down about some of her job prospects when it was really hard to get a decent paying field hockey coaching job, but she wasn't, she turned, she decided, I mean, she got excited about her side business, and now she makes a really a good income from both teaching, coaching field hockey, and selling this incredible invention. So I definitely think getting fired up about whatever you're working on, I mean, helps so much. Because once you're so excited about it and you see some of the potential, you just want to spend all your time doing it. I mean, she spends her weekends in her parents' garage making this hockey stick. So I think it's easy to get excited once you have that idea. And Kim, if I remember correctly, I mean, it's been a long-term process for her, right? It's not something that happened overnight. And then yeah. she also reached out to her own network and was yes. able to um, connect with, was it a parent on one of her, one of her players? Yeah. Such a good memory. Yes, that's exactly what happened. So she, when she, she basically went home when she got the idea for this new stick, designed it, and she was scared to show anybody because she thought someone might steal her idea. And she made some calls to see how she would go about getting a patent. She was really distraught to discover it would talk cost. I think it was between ten and $20,000 to get the kind of legal services she needed. So she called on one of her friends or one of her 
coaching students. So someone, someone she coached and her, that person's, I think it was that person's father who was a lawyer and connected her to someone who could give her a much better deal of something more affordable to help her get it patent, 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 get the patent she needed. And so that is what let her get going. So she definitely had, you know, a potential a difficult point when she didn't know how to move forward without the, the really expensive legal services she needed, but she found a way through her network. So she had that support network to do it. And that's what let it happen. You know, and that makes me go back to there's two concepts and I've had both these guests on my show. They're both researchers. One is Carol Dweck. She talks about having a growth mindset, right? And essentially it is when, even when doors shut, you don't make that mean that it's not possible or when there's mistakes that happen, you look at it and go, what can I learn from this? And, and it sounds like the, the field hockey coach had that kind of growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And the other component it sounds like she had was the courage and vulnerability, being willing to put herself out there, make those calls with people thinking, who are you? You know, yes. what do you have to offer? Like, really? You know, this is such a fantasy to finally, you know, but, but by being able to put herself out there and make those calls and, you know, have risk of people saying no or laugh in her face, she was able to actually patent this product. Yes, that's exactly right. And I do think sometimes you have to be vulnerable. And in fact, even just launch creating something and offering it for sale, it's you're very vulnerable. I mean, you basically created something on your own that you're saying, look, I think this has value. I think this could be useful to other people. And you're inviting other people to buy it. And that can be a very scary thing because that also means you're inviting these strangers feedback and criticism. What if they buy it and they don't like it? I mean, it's scary. So I think also we have to push through that vulnerability if we're going to be in business. So now let's go and talk about Etsy because so it gets really exciting, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to go start this business. I see all these successful businesses and this is going to be life changing. And they go and start. And then what happens for most of the entrepreneurs? Yes. Then no one buys anything and you're like, what is going on here? Mm -hmm. And what, what, what do you think gets in the way of people selling stuff and not selling stuff? You know, it's so much about marketing and getting word out because no one can buy what you're selling if they don't know about it. And I mean, I definitely learned this firsthand. I was so fired up at my Etsy shop. I launched it and then I sat there waiting for sales to come in. And of course, it took a lot more effort to get those sales. So I think for creative entrepreneurs, especially, we get so excited about the first step, which is the creating and that's the part we love. And then we get dragged down by the marketing because I mean, it's a lot of us don't like that selling part, but it's so essential. And we basically have to become masters of it in order to promote our businesses and have successful businesses. So I think that what people have to often figure out on their own is how do you successfully market and reach your target audience? And who are they? And what do they read online? And what kind of blogs could you potentially pitch to write a guest post? I mean, there's so many things you can do to market, but it's really a skill that, I mean, almost anyone can learn it, but it takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, oh, here, I'm going to go, I'm going to be on Etsy and people, it's not the field of dreams, build it and they will come. Yeah, not at all. It's unfortunately not at all like that. And I mean, I had to learn this the hard way myself. You have to hustle to get word out and really put some time into thinking about who you're trying to reach, how to reach them, what blogs they read online. I mean, 
paid advertising, which sounds so easy, that is usually not even a good investment because it doesn't work as well as so-called free advertising. When you do something like get a, a blogger to get, do a giveaway or review your product. So I think instead of, we can't just pay a certain amount of to Facebook, for example, for Facebook ads and think that will start our business. It has to be much more hands-on work where we're really thinking about who those people are we're trying to reach and how to reach them. And it might mean writing 10 blog posts in one weekend. I mean, it, it could mean a lot of work on your part, but then it pays off because then you're reaching your target audience. You know, it makes me think as, as we're talking about, you know, building traction, gaining traction in a side business, I'd like to know what you think, because I think going from zero to a thousand fans is much harder than going from a thousand fans to 10,000 fans. What are your thoughts on that? Mm, interesting. So can you explain the thinking behind that to me? Well, because, you know, you're first trying to figure out like who, who are your people? What is your message or what is your product that you're trying to, you know, help sell or you know, what's yeah. the problem you're trying to sell, solve? And once you get those thousand people and they're your raving fans, right, then they're going to go tell other people. So it's kind of that snowball yes. effect. But getting started... Yeah. Because it can trigger that mindset of, oh my gosh, I only have 50 people and I go and right. check these other in internet businesses and they've got, you know, 7,000 fans, right? And so you can diminish yourself by comparing and despairing. Yes. I really, I haven't heard that theory before, but I think it really makes a lot of sense. And, you know, my one of my own favorite marketing gurus is Marie, uh, Marie Forleo and with her website, she's always talking about marketing ideas. And I think it kind of fits in with a lot of her suggestions too about building up that loyal fan base and making sure you can reach them with your newsletter and having an ongoing relationship with them. So yes, I mean, I think that completely, now that you say that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think it, it, it can be so hard to get those first thousand people. But once you do, I mean, you're definitely on the right track and you're, you've figured out who you're trying to talk to when you started talking to them. And when you did these interviews for your book, The Economy of You, did you, like with the cake person, I mean, did he figure out how many customers he needed to really make a thriving business? Because while we like, especially, you know, in the media, right, the, everybody likes mm -hmm. to hear the millions, right? What is, what is mm -hmm. your poll? But I mean, how many people does he need to have a sustainable business? Yeah, so he so he didn't really have a choice because he was among the people who got suddenly he got laid off because the deli closed. So he didn't even I don't think he didn't run those numbers ahead of time. He had to make his cake business work because that was very suddenly all that he had. So at first he wasn't quite meeting his costs and so he had to he actually figured out that he in addition to his custom cakes which are really I mean they're gorgeous but they're also $300 and up. So I mean it's really a high-end customer that he's going after there. He diversified and actually added these custom cookies that you can buy online so you don't even have to be in his local DC area. And he so he figured out ways to expand uh, since the custom cakes at first, although now it's grown even more, but at first it wasn't enough to bring in enough income. So he's figured out how to expand. So yeah, I think that Sometimes your original plan is not going to bring in those numbers that you need. And so you can figure out a way to maybe offer different products too to diversify and find, you know, people even outside your local area. And part of that goes back to just the whole flexibility and playing around experimentation mindset. So, I mean, it might even shift over time where at first you do have enough clients to keep your, say, career coaching business going. But then you realize maybe you need to look into other types of clients later. Uh, 
and, and change things, even if originally it worked out. And you said something really important, that experience, that mindset of experimentation, because that's really important, isn't it? It really is. And that, that is what came up over and over again in my interviews. I mean, the, the people that I, that have their successful side businesses that I interviewed, they are just constantly in a mindset of experimentation. They never think, okay, I figured out my side business. I'm done. Now I'll just, you know, keep it going. They never use the phrase passive income, which gets used so much now. <laughs> I mean, it, nothing is passive about earning income. You can't just, you know, create an ebook and then expect sales to continue indefinitely. So they're constantly changing things. Even if they do have a product that's out there, then they're thinking of new ways to market it and get word out. So they were never passive. It's constantly being active and shifting and being flexible. And testing things out, but not making it mean that you're a failure. This isn't possible for you. Yes, exactly. And I think that too is the beauty in how our, our, how easy it is now to launch something online in these online businesses, because you don't have to invest $10,000 in a certain website and doing things a certain way. You can just, you know, do it for sometimes nothing if you're using some of these e-commerce websites and try things out and then change and shift. So I think it's easier to be in that flexible mindset just because you're, you don't have to have a lot of uh, startup costs if you don't have like a bricks and mortar type store where the situation the situation would be completely different and you would be having more sunk costs. And when you talk about marketing, does, is that something that you see? Cause I see a lot of entrepreneurs who really struggle with that cause they, they're worried about being like the, you know, um, the person out there selling, you know, snake oil. Right. And so the, what were the people who did great marketing, like in Etsy, what were they like? So what I learned, and I, I definitely didn't know this before, is that the, those people that are so good at marketing, it's because they can tell stories. They can tell stories about who they are, how they got the idea for their business, and you feel like you're their friend. I mean, there's a couple a couple creative entrepreneurs, the websites that I read all the time. Uh, one is called Blacksburg Bell. And even before I, I actually did end up eventually talking to her on the phone, even well before I ever made contact with her, I felt like she was my friend because she seems so personable on her videos and her blog writing. And I think that's such an essential key when you're running an online business because it can feel so impersonal and like you feel like you're strangers online. But if you can cross that barrier and really make people feel like they're talking to you, I think that is how you build up loyal customers. And I mean, that's definitely something I strive to do. I'm still learning, um, but people who do it well are really good at it. So telling stories and, you know, one of the dilemmas always about online and is what do you put out there in the online world and what do you keep private? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I struggle with that so much. Yes. It's a, such a question. I mean, personally, I do not want to share photos of my kids with strangers. So I, that's something I keep offline. And I, a lot of people make the complete opposite decision and they're so successful at writing like so-called mommy blogs, for example. And I guess, you know, they, they, feel comfortable doing that and there and it draws a lot more page views. So I think yeah, we all have to make that decision for ourselves. It's it's a hard one. You know, it sounds like because there I mean there are those that out there that say these are the rules, right? This is the blueprint. But my experience um, being an entrepreneur is is that I have to line up with my own values yes. and what's important to me. 
um, versus, you know, following some blueprint. Because if, if, you know, if I don't feel comfortable putting photos of my kids out there and then it's, it's going to come across in anything that I put out there. Don't you agree? Completely. I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, if you have the slightest bit of discomfort about it or you don't really want to, then it's not going to seem like, you know, a warm and fuzzy mommy blog that is so eager to share with you. So yeah, I think it does come across even if you don't really realize it. Because mm-hmm. I remember I had a conversation, I think with Liz Gumbinger from Mom uh, Cool Picks. Yeah, the blog when I used to do mommy bloggers many, many years ago. And and a lot of the mommy bloggers were really comfortable, right, about putting their kids. And this was back in what 2006, I think, you know, and the internet was still kind of new. And, um, and I wasn't so comfortable with that. And some of it I've, I've evolved and changed and my kids have gotten older, but, and it wasn't, again, it's, it's, it's like, I think family values. It's not that she was bad and I was good. It's not a moralistic thing. It's what are you comfortable with and what is your partner comfortable with as well? So I think that part's really important. Yes, it is so important. And I think that, I mean, moms just, and dads just, I mean, vary so much in just how naturally people seem to feel about it. And yeah, like you said, it's not good or bad. It's just people are different. So why is telling your story so important in building your customer base? And so if people seem to just there's something about humans, something about us that we love stories and it makes us feel connected to people. So if you can explain to someone how you got the idea for your Etsy shop and why it is that you created it, maybe how you think it will help people or even what you were doing when you got the idea, if you can really tell that story, then not only will people be more likely to remember it and remember you and maybe buy something from you, but they just feel closer to you and they can relate to it. And this is not something that I thought of myself by any means. I This is something I learned, a technique I learned from the website I mentioned before, Blacksburg Bell. She's a creative entrepreneur and she tells a lot of stories. And that kind of opened my eyes to the power of story in marketing. And so I've tried to, to do that a little bit. Um, but I think, I think there can be something very compelling when someone shares with you the story behind their shop or their business because you, you just relate to it more. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's so interesting because in the past, when we dealt so much with corporations, right, mm-hmm. it was, it was, what is this image we can put out there? Um, and, you know, spun by PR people and marketing people. But now it sounds like what people really want is they want to know the real us. Yes, I think you're so right. And I think in a way, it's a backlash against the sort of anonymous corporate culture. And part of the reason why the whole handmade concept is so huge and why Etsy even exists and why you might rather buy uh, Infinity Scarf from an Etsy seller than Target or Amazon. So, and they can charge more for it too. So I think it's part of our desire for a handmade item, enhanced relationships with people to know who actually made what we're bringing into our home, not just with clothes, but also even food. So I think it's a really big trend that uh, online entrepreneurs can kind of latch onto and use to their advantage. And so with building this social media base, you one talked about, or this with building this fan base, you talked about one was email marketing. How important is social media? 
It is. It's really important. I think, I think of it as sort of like an add on. So I don't think that any, I mean, I think it's hard to generate a lot of sales directly from Twitter, for example, or even Facebook, especially when we have so little control as Facebook changes its various policies. And I mean, people might not even see a post you make unless you pay to sponsor it. So when, when you're using a platform that you don't have control over, like Twitter or Facebook, you don't necessarily know how exactly your audience will be seeing things. So I think that social media is such a great addition to your existing website or whatever platform you focus on, but it, it can't be all of it because it just means giving away so much control. So that's why I like to think of it as like the extra that you add on top of say your newsletter or your blog posts, because those things you do have control over. But if you have a big product launch plan and that's the day Twitter goes down, then you know that puts you in a predicament. So I think of it as just something extra that in enhances the marketing that you're already doing, but, you know, not necessarily the whole thing. And then let's talk about offline because we've been talking about online, but let's talk about offline and, and ways to develop personal connections because isn't that really important too in this marketing mm -hmm. It is. And, you know, as a busy working mom, I probably do too much online just because I right now instead of you know going to like a happy hour meetup for a fellow creative entrepreneurs after work I'm running home to you know do bedtime and dinner and all that so I think it it it's so important and that it can kind of depend on the person in terms of how much of that more in-person meetups you can do and so I what I really enjoyed though is there tapping into just like you do online but tapping into your own local niche and you know, meetup can be a great way of like originally finding those people. But if you're a pet sitter, then you can find other local pet sitters and increase your network. So when, when they can't do something, they pass off the gig to you and basically just increase your own business. So I definitely like that. Definitely value that in person and, you know, real relationships too. And I think that while I was writing the book, because I, I mean, and because I'm, you know, as you are too, I mean, everyone's so busy, it can be easier to just focus on the online relationships that you can do on your own time and you don't even have to be properly dressed to do those. So it's easier in a lot of ways to do the online networking. But I mean, I totally agree that definitely pays off to also have those real relationships. Well, I was interviewing an author and one of the things that she's talking about is, and she's got this great agent and it, part of it happened because another mom for, from her son's preschool had said, Hey, I have this friend or my college roommate. Um, her best friend is this big literary agent in New York city. Let me see. Right. And, yeah. and who would have even, you know, here we live in on the West coast and they're talking about somebody on the East coast and small university town. And, um, but so it was that connection of, you know, it didn't even have to be something extraordinary. It was just something that came up in uh, ordinary conversation, right? Like, oh, this is what I'm trying yes. to do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm scared, but I'm, I'm need to get an agent. I need, you know, and then a friend saying, hey, I have this. Like, you never know who are connected to who. And so isn't it important to just be talking about your work in a non-salesy way? Yes, that is such a good point. And I mean, also, we want to help our friends and the people that we know in person. So I mean, I've found connections like that myself from mom's groups. It's, it can be so useful. Um, so yes, I completely agree with you. So, you know, as as you talked about, you're busy, right? You've got a full time <laughs> job, a kid at home, you know, how do we maintain? I mean, that's the thing that I struggle with even is maintaining these personal connections. It's like, I feel like I only have a bandwidth of so much. 
Um, I know. Does this have to be a regular thing or if we're maintaining it once or twice a year, maybe, you know, like you and I spoke a couple of years ago and then um, you've come back on the show. So it when how, what is the time time in between? Is there kind of like it's gone yeah. too far, it's gone too long, too short? What do you recommend? I don't really know the answer to that other than I think that you have to just squeeze it in when you can. I mean, for example, uh, if you have, if you're, if you're near one of your friends and you have half an hour when you can just grab coffee really quickly, that can mean so much more than like a two hour planned play date. So, you know, when people have kids the same age. So I feel like you just have to kind of steal the time whenever you can, when you're so busy and just feel like you're running around all the time. I mean, you might just have like, half an hour to catch up with someone and that can be okay. So I basically, when you're in such overdrive mode all the time, as I feel like I am right now, I feel like you just have to do the best that you can. And maintaining relationships is so important. So even if you just send a friend or, you know, work friend, uh, catch up email or text on a regular basis. And even if you're both not at a point where you can take a real break to meet up in person, I mean, just making sure you're still talking to them and you know what's going on with them. I try to at least do that, but I mean, it's a struggle. I think it's hard for everybody when you're, especially when you have young kids. So don't beat yourself up about it. Do the best that you can and what's realistic. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's all you can do. And luckily a lot of my, my, um, like allies and online entrepreneurship are similarly, I mean, everyone's similarly stressed and overbooked. So they understand. <laughs> um, so let's see, developing resilience as an entrepreneur, that becomes, I would think, a very important thing. Um, what are ways that you recommend developing resilience? I feel like everyone has a different answer to this question. But for me, it's always about shutting off my computer and walking away. And that almost immediately, as soon as I talk to my, start talking to my kids and step away from whatever was bothering me on my computer, I almost immediately just feel lighter. I mean, it can be so easy to get tunnel vision. I feel like if, you know, you have been working on a launch all week and then you launch it and say, you know, you only get two sales and you might feel really down about that. And it's easy to kind of lose perspective in the moment. So that's why just completely changing your what you're focusing on, whether it's, you know, some amazing hobby you have or just talking with your kids, it can just shift everything and help you get perspective back. Because I definitely find it really easy to lose perspective myself on stuff like that. And for me, the resilience, I mean, I try to enhance it by just walking away from my computer and even just not letting myself touch my smartphone for the evening. <laughs> And that's hard because we're thinking, oh, this is, could be an opportunity. I can be, yes. um, you know, more productive. Or what if I make that one critical, you know, yeah. uh, connection, right? It is so hard. It can be so hard to do that. I, so that's why, I mean, I feel like I have to force it. So I always take my phone and plug it in to use as, uh, to stream Pandora in the evenings at my house. So it basically makes it so I can't even use my phone because it's, you know, off plugged in to stream music. Mm -hmm. So that's my own little technique for making sure I get offline. <laughs> <laughs> and then what about scarcity? Because we can go into that scarcity mindset of like, oh, well, I have this idea and somebody else has this, or here's another Etsy shop that's opening up and they have these types of planners, right? Um, yeah. How do, how do entrepreneurs avoid that? 
That is, okay, that is really difficult. And I think everyone struggles with that. Even like writers, if you're writing a novel, it's so easy to think, you know, there's so many novel writers out there. How is what I'm doing different? And I really feel like though, the answer is that everyone has such a unique gift really to share with the world. So as long as you're really drilling into what your own uniqueness is, if that's a word, like thinking about how your own exact experience and passions and skills and resources and connections, how exactly you, uh, what, whatever makes you different, how you're using that to create something that's useful to other people, it's never going to be the exact same as someone else. So I, I mean, I definitely had that moment a couple of times. There's other moms who run digital planning shops online on Etsy even, but when, and usually I have like a moment when I'm like, Oh no, we have the same shop. And then once I drill into it and I look at the actual planners that they're offering, of course they're completely different than mine. So I mean, no one can really is going to create the same thing. And when you're in this handmade custom world, especially, it's so it's going to be so different. Even if you have the same idea, the execution is so different. So I think you just have to make sure you're tapping into your own your own your own background and interest to make sure that you're not you know too close to someone else. And really, if you're doing that, I think it rarely happens that people have such similar products. Well, you know, it makes me think about. Um, I did an interview years ago with Hugh McLeod. And one of the things that he talked about was, you know, if you really have a fan base of a thousand people, you can make a full-time living, right? So when you think about that, it kind of almost takes the pressure off of, oh my gosh, if they make this, then there's not going to be enough people for me because, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's in the United States, there's what, 300 million people, right? So when you're looking at a thousand people and kind of worldwide, especially with the online world, um, that's just very, that's a very small, small, small portion of the population. It completely is. I mean, there's definitely room for everybody. So just kind of, yeah, think, focusing on that, you, your own uniqueness, I think, can get you past that <laughs> that scary thought that other people are already doing it. Yeah, and there are these two artists that I interviewed in the fall, and they're both licensed artists, and their art, in some ways, are similar because they both use words, but they're also very different because it goes along with their story, right? One is really about... Um, you know, having courage and using those kinds of words. And the other one's much more faith-based because her experience is that she loves God and she wants other people to love God as much as she does, mm, right? So depending on where, what you're interested in, you're going to gravitate to one of those artists differently. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's such a good example. And I think sometimes too, people that we think are competitors can actually turn out to be our incredible allies and that maybe you can even work together or, you know, share some of the same audience and think of a way to use it as an asset that you have such similarities. Say more about that. <laughs> well, I actually, I thought about this because um, my, my, the, the woman I mentioned before who writes Blacksburg Bell she uh, has a really unique style, I would say, but it's all about creative entrepreneurship and having fun, creating crafty type things and building an online business. And then I found another similar website, myecarlies.com, very, very similar idea. And I would say they do have similar styles. And I don't even know how they first met each other, but it turned out they teamed up. So instead of 
seeing each other as competitors, they decided to work together. And now they create these amazing products and courses and uh, eBooks together, and they sell them to their audiences jointly. And I, I'm sure, I mean, I don't know, but I'm sure that they've only increased their own business success by teaming up. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I've observed, how people can just put their, especially when they do have similar audiences, put their, their own skills really and resources together to make something even better. That would be having to not have a scarcity mindset or uh, she's, uh, she's better than me mindset. I mean, you'd have yeah. to do a lot of work on yourself, wouldn't you? I think so. I think you have to be very secure in yourself. And I think these two women are. Um, but yes, I think you're right. I think that you can't be feeling that sort of competitive, oh, no, she's going to take my my clients or customers from me. Um, and I think luckily, they both are really secure. So I mean, it seems like from the outside anyway, that they have a really wonderful relationship. Um. So what are things, um, what, what are things to do when, um, your things aren't looking good in the side gig? What do you think are the important things for people to do? I think sometimes you need to get some serious feedback. So if things are really not going well, say you're just not making sales where you're not having revenue come in where you thought you would be, you, it might be time to get a real third-party outside perspective. So, of course, you've probably already asked your partner, your friends for their advice. But sometimes, you, I mean, you might need someone who works in the creative entrepreneur space or whatever space you're in to provide some really constructive criticism or feedback. So sometimes seeking out those kinds of coaches can help. And of course that, then you're investing a hundred or more dollars in their time. But I've seen that really pay off for people because sometimes it might even be something that's a relatively easy fix to make. I mean, maybe instead of offering printed products, it should be digital or it should be a coaching product that you're offering. So, I mean, sometimes just getting some outside perspective and feedback, even feedback that you're, you're paying for uh, can, can really help you. So it's, it's maybe having help, having somebody help you see your blind spots. Yes, because we all have blind spots. And it can be hard for us to see how other people are perceiving us. I mean, I noticed that um, a lot of people write their about page on their website in the third person. And something that was pointed out to me, I did this myself, and something that was pointed out to me actually by the blacksburgbell.com is that you should always write in the first person because then right there you're breaking down that barrier that the computer is putting up between you and your potential customer. So changing your whole website from third person to first person can be a really huge shift and change how you're being perceived by potential customers. So even little things like that that we don't even think about that we're not even really aware of um, can really change the dynamic. So Kim, can you give a couple of takeaways for listeners out there who are trying to gain traction in their side business, but are possibly struggling? Like remember when back when you first started mm-hmm. your Etsy business, yes. right? So you, you did all the work, you got it set up, so excited, and then you kept waiting <laughs> and you kept waiting, <laughs> right? So what would yes. be some takeaways for them? Okay, so number one is to really put some time into thinking about your marketing and how you're going to reach your target customer. And of course, I dedicate a whole bunch of this in the book to this because it's something I really did struggle with. So thinking about your marketing plan and even, you know, writing something down, are you, how are you, who are the people that you're trying to reach and where are they? And can you reach out to bloggers that 
are already talking to them and work something out like a giveaway or a review or write a guest post for them. So really, number one, it's investing in your marketing and putting some time into thinking how you are getting word out about what you're doing. Because a lot of us like to skip that part, but it's so important. And with that, because we hear that quite often, like, you know, figure out who your people are. Yeah. What in the beginning? I mean, now that you have your business and you've been selling planners and, you know, you've been getting emails from customers, like I know who my people are in my audience, right? My right. listeners and stuff. But how do you figure out who your people are in the very beginning? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's really hard. So I, I mean, I did it and I think one way to do it is by first looking at who are your, you, you might think of as your competitors, but I now think of them as my allies. I mean, who are the people doing something maybe similar, a little bit similar at least to what you're doing? Um, and for me, it was, it was actually the mommy bloggers or that's what they are often referred to. So moms that blog about themselves and their families, that turned out to be my real key audience. And so I started really focusing on reaching out to mommy bloggers who were wrote me back nice emails often. And so, I mean, some of them got ignored and I didn't get emails back, but enough wrote back to me and offered to feature my planners on their sites. That's how I gained some traction. So I think by seeing where other people who are similar to you are currently marketing, what kind of blogs they're using or websites, and then I mean, you're kind of copying what they're mm -hmm. doing in a way, and that's fine because it's different because it applies to you. So basically copying their techniques and reaching out to those bloggers, I mean, that can be a good first step. And when you do this, then it's also just tweaking too as you start to get more information, isn't it? Totally. So much tweaking. I mean, I know at first I, I, I thought I was going to be having all these gorgeous spiral bound planners that were selling in my shop and no one bought those at all. So I changed my strategy. I listened to customers who were not buying them and I changed to focus just on digital. And that's what really sold. And so tweaking and, you know, making those changes when you listen to customers. I also noticed that my customers were buying multiple planners at once. And so that kind of made a light bulb go off where I thought, oh, I should create kits like planner kits. And that turned out to be a great idea because that's sold way more than my single planners. So just listening, listening by how people are buying too can help you generate more sales. Okay. So the first takeaway is put time into thinking about your marketing plan. And what's the second takeaway? The second takeaway is tweaking, making changes based on what your customers are saying, not just with their words, but with their money. So whatever people, whatever sort of patterns you notice in terms of how they're buying, what can you change about your shop to, to better meet those needs or to better reflect how they're shopping? Okay. Well, Kim, thanks for coming back on my show and uh, talking about how you can gain traction in the side business because that's, I think, a very important thing in this new world of work. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you again. Yes. This is Corinne Motokaitis. You've been listening to How She Really Does It. It's the place where inspiration and possibility meet. My guest today is Kimberly Palmer, and her latest book is The Economy of You. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe 
there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so 